I'm going to try to stay on task of the little outline we sent out this morning. Um, so, so to, to just kind of sum it up in two things, um, one of the questions was who, you know, one of the questions this morning would be, who is John the Baptist? And we're going to navigate through that through a few texts, um, word being Elijah and what, 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 what was going on with the, with the word and the thought and the ideas of Elijah. And then the second point uh, this morning uh, they asked him, why are you baptizing? And his answer in simple was, I baptize with water, but one greater than me is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we'll, we'll um, go through that little um, um, stream, st um, strand there of, um, of, of the Holy Spirit and fire and, and what that is um, and look at that the best we can. Um, as we showed last week, well, we've showed it twice as we've been doing this series, as we see um in in john 9 we saw the man born from blind um blind we see this awesome thing happen to him and he struggles a little bit initially to give a good um explanation of what's happened and all that and so what we get in john is sometimes not these formal um well thought polished um explanations but just real right off the cuff thing so we saw um and we could relate to the man born blind how he kind of evolved in his confidence of um, speaking about Christ and what Christ had done in his life. And we see that somewhat with John also. We looked a little bit. Um, they kept asking him these questions, just like with the man born blind. They were like, well, what do you say about him? What did he do to you? What did you say about him? And they just, just put this pressure on him in the same way you see that with John the Baptist, where they're, who do you think you are? Who are you? And, and, and if you're not this, this or that, you know, why are you baptizing and, and, and asking these questions? Um, so where I want to start this morning is um, just a voice crying out in the wilderness and look at the prophecy of that. Um, one of the things I heard last week after we, we um, had our study, I went to church and um, the pastor proposed the question and I'd propose it to you this morning out of the prophecy that has been put, you know, that's in the Bible that God promises that he's going to fulfill, how much of that prophecy has actually already been fulfilled? And I'll just give you some, some scenarios. Is 80% of the prophecy in the Bible fulfilled, or is only 20% of it fulfilled? And this is important about how you handle scripture and how you think about the promises of God and what he's done or ha haven't done. If you believe 80% of the promises God has made through scripture has already been fulfilled, then you have a, 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 a luggage. If, if you take it as luggage, a suitcase full of promises that God has been faithful to fulfill. And so the remaining 20% that you're navigating through in the future um, is no big deal because you have a track record of 80% of, of God being faithful. Um, but if you on the other side of that, where only 20% of the prophecies have been fulfilled, um, then you God still got a lot left to do. He's still got a long ways to go. And so, you know, in that case, you could lean a little bit more to less confidence in the fact that God would be faithful to um, accomplish what he's done. So with that in mind. Um, one of the things that we'll see as we look through with Elijah is you kind of see, I guess the best way to say it is you see these people kind of, I don't know if you want to say behind the eight ball, but they're behind on the equation of knowing, they know that Elijah is going to have an impact, that, that there's going to be a forerunner in the spirit of Elijah, but they don't, they're having, they're kind of slow in putting that together. So as we look at that text this morning, we'll see Jesus try to cover, um, catch them up to speed but I just want you to keep in mind um, as we're in, in as, as we're in uncertain times um, there are some people that uh, just to just kind of hypothetically say there are some people that believe that the worse things get around us the closer Christ is to his return um, and and what my concern is with that way of thinking is especially if you get into a uh, real anxious um, spirit and you kind of start to doubt that God is faithful and he can protect you in all times and all places and in all situations, then what you could do is um, refrain back 
from doing what he's called you to do to evangelize and make disciples. So whatever the future holds, we should still be inviting people to come to Christ. We should be compelling people to come to Christ to our final breath, regardless of what time frame we're in. So sometimes people get so excited about maybe thinking prophecies are being fulfilled right now in the end time and Christ is about to step out that they sort of just get out of the ball game of actually doing what he's called us to do. So whatever our, our, our view on prophecy is, is in my opinion that we should still be, be, be on task um, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. So I want to just say real quick, um, as we're looking at the prophecies, there was two, as far as pointing to John being the, the one crying out in the wilderness, there was two texts that kind of talked about this forerunner or, or um, messenger um, that would be sent before the Christ would come. And that was in um, Isaiah 43 to 5. And, um, and then there was some texts in um, Malachi that speaks to the same thing. So just real quick, I'm going to read Isaiah 43 um, to 5. And it says, a voice that cries out in the wilderness prepares the way of the Lord, making straight in a desert highway for our God. So John the Baptist was out in the wilderness is what we'll see as the text is unfold. But it says that the purpose of this forerunner is to prepare a way for the Lord. And then he goes on, and, and that's usually the part we hear. But if you look at the next two verses, it says, Every valley shall be lifted up, so the things that are dipping down are flattened out, and every mountain and hill will be made low, and the even ground will become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Now, we ask a question right here, and we have to ask this question with all prophecy. You know, was John coming actually going to take a mountain and lower it flat and take a valley and raise it up? I would say most likely not because of other texts. But what he is saying, if he's not saying that's a physical thing that's going to happen, he's saying that that's a spiritual thing that's going to happen. So that's just adding more value to the fact that when the Christ comes, the way is sort of supernaturally going to be made um, straight for him, um, that the doors are going to be open. Um, I like in Revelation where he says he opens doors that cannot be open and he shuts doors, you know, that, that cannot be shut. I, I think I misphrased that a little bit, but, but, but as we look at this text and we're seeing these valleys being low, lowered, uh, I mean, these mountains being lowered, the valleys being raised up, everything being made flat. It's all speaking to what this forerunner is going to do of opening and preparing the way. We see that when we ask, when they ask about why are you baptized? He says, I'm just baptizing with water, which that would have been ready in the people's heart for something, something greater, which he was describing as um, baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And fire. So we see both a promise and a fulfillment coming together in that sense that the Holy Spirit is an actual fulfillment. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire is an actual fulfillment <laughs> in the new covenant of Christ. Bless you, bless you. Thank you. All right. So um, the other text I wanted to point you to um, in the Old Testament. I'm trying to get my thing straight here is um, out of out of Malachi three and it starts and I'm going to read the first four verses. It says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me, which we're speaking about John the Baptist here and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into the temple, which is painting this idea picture of Jesus um, and the message and, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But, and then I want to read these next three verses, but who, because remember, he said, I'll baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So my question, kind of as we're looking at this text, um, and we're looking at it at, in some other ways, but my question is, what is the fire part of it? And so in this verse two through four of Malachi three, it says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Now, I want you to think back. We were saying um, we make an invitation and some come and some do not. And we need to be willing to come. 
Well, when, when the refining fire comes, some of us will turn our back on God and some will come to him. So he's speaking about this and we're going to see that unfold in the reality of the people that interact with, with Jesus as we walk through the book of John. So he says, but who can endure of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. So if you remember back when we went through Psalms 51, we had this language too, where he would say, give me a clean heart in this, this really deep language of this cleansing. And so if you think about the Old Testament, there was sacrifices where they would come to the temple and they would do a certain sacrifice and then they would leave and go to the high places and they would give a better sacrifice to idols and God uh, and other gods. And that, um, and, and God just said, quit bringing the sacrifices. They're pointless to me there. You know, your heart, I'm sorry. I forgot. I didn't have the video. Okay. Sorry. But, um, but, um, but point, they were pointless to him. So what he's doing here through this refiner's fire is he's working inwardly in them so that, that what's coming out of them is a, he says that the M4 is pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. And, um, one other text that's right there in, um, in Malachi is as it ends, and, and I want us to think about this, the 400 years of silence, the last words they have to hold on to as we step out with Elijah stepping on the scene is in, um, in, in Malachi 4, 5. It's, it's, well, I'll give two, I'll give a couple verses. We'll start 4, 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I command him at, 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 um, at I don't even know how to say that, Herb, for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn his hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So this, this three verses here, this last paragraph, I want to put in context, was the last thing that the people of God would have heard for 400 years between essentially about 400 years from then to John the Baptist stepping out on the scene. So all that, you know, we're going to, one of the first texts we're going to look at is Jesus asking them, what did you go in the wilderness to see? And as we've already read in the text of John, we see, you know, Pharisees coming out there and different things like that with John the Baptist in the wilderness. So from that scene to this scene, this is the last words they've heard. So they've been exiled. They've rebuilt the temple, the temple that Jesus would would say, you know, tear this temple down. And in three days, I'll rise it up. This temple has been rebuilt. It's not as glorious as the one as Solomon. But all of a sudden, they enter into this 400 years of silence. Um, and these are the last words that they they have. So they would have held on to like we ask some some ways. Why were they waiting for the spirit, you know, of Elijah? We're right here. Some of the last words that are said to him is, behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, sometimes when we hear the great and awesome day of the Lord, and I'm not going to dive deep into this, a lot of times we see Christ's return. But in this text, it's most likely, and it makes more sense that this great and awesome day of the Lord would be the day that Christ would come and he would, you know, preach the kingdom, you know, which is what we're fixing to jump into. Um, and so this is what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the Messiah to step out and to do um, his thing. Um, I just wanted to recap a little bit before we move out of the Old Testament and into the text. Is So from Joseph to Moses, you know, you're thinking there's this famine in the land. Joseph is exalted to 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 navigate through this great crisis um israel is kind of put back together and looks like glory days right 
And then all of a sudden it says a Pharaoh rose up that didn't remember Joseph. And so there's this 400 years of hardship. So at two different times, we see this 400 year span of time. And I just want to say this. We as a nation are not 400 years old. What does it take for a group of people to hold on a promise for 400 years? You know, would you have, you know, if, if, if you would have been in Joseph's time and seen that glory, what would it have took for your family tree to hold on for 400 years and to be ready for Moses to show up on the scene? And then the same way as this, if you had heard Malachi say these last words and just where I'm going to sin that this, the day of the Lord is coming. I am God. I am faithful. You are my children. I will not abandon you. The, I will send the, uh, the, the, uh, my prophet Elijah. You know, would you have held strong for 400 years waiting, you know, for that? So that's the Old Testament. Let's jump into the text um, really quick in Luke 117. I don't know if I sent that to you. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, um, let's see. We just picked up from, um, well, I'll, I'll go on up to 15. In verse 15, they're talking about John the Baptist. Um, this is uh, this is in the temple where, if you remember when Zechariah went in the temple, the lots had cast, and it was his turn to go serve incest in the, in the temple as a priest. And he goes up in there, and all of a sudden, Gabriel starts talking to him from the Holy of Holies. And he says um, in, in um, where are we at? Luke 1, 15, he says, um, I go with 14 and you will have joy and gladness and rejoice at his birth. So here we're talking about him and his wife have been barren. They can't have no ch child. And he's talking about a miracle is going to happen. And he says, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And, and, and this is what I'm trying to get to. And he will be filled with the Holy spirit, even from his mother's womb. And in verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to children and to the disobedient, the wisdom of just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So we're asking the question kind of this morning, what, what was the buzz? Why were they so excited about Elijah? Why did they keep coming back to this? So the last deal, 400 years promised to their people carried down by tradition was that when the day of the Lord comes, um, I will send my prophet in the spirit of Elijah. Now, we're, uh, I'll give you the text if you want to jot them down, but Luke 120 and Luke um, 64. I'll, I'll just read it since it's right here. Um, in 120, what it, what it says, well, we were right there. I'll just read the next few verses. In 18, Zechariah, after this was said to him in the temple, Zechariah said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am great Gabriel. In the movie, he's really mean about it. He's like, I am Gabriel in the presence of the Lord. He said, I stand in the presence of God. And I will, I will sit to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my word. So there's sort of like a, 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 a reprimand here by Gabriel because he just didn't believe. And in a minute, we'll see where Mary did believe. Um, so both Mary and Zachariah was kind of presented with an impossibility. Um, Zachariah didn't take it as, as lovely. But, but my point of saying this is if we skip down to verse 64 in that same Luke 1, we, we pick up the story. Um, basically what happens is on the eighth day, they would name the child and circumcise him. So that picks up on verse 57. So as you're reading that paragraph from 57 to 66, um, the circumcision happens, but here in 64, a, a, a key moment happens. Um, they're, they're saying nobody's been named John and all this. And, and, um, and he's trying to write on a pad. Yeah, his name's going to be John. Cause that's what Gabriel told him. He ain't going to disobey him again. And it says that when he, he, he does this, he says, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose and he spoke blessings to God. And then he's fixing to go on and prophesy after that. So here 
he's in a picture this. So he's in the temple. He comes out freaked out. He cannot talk. Nine months goes on. His wife's pregnant. They have the baby. And on the eighth day, they go to name him and he gets his voice back. Now, what do you think? We don't have it in text, but what do you think he said after that? You know, he would have shared the story and they would have, they might've had what the text said 400 years ago in Malachi, but you would think that Zachariah had an impact on his community of telling them what Gabriel had told him that we see there in verse 17. So we can see that to some degree or another, Zechariah would have created this buzz about Elijah. So let's, let's run through these texts here. Uh, Matthew 11, 7 through 15. Um, it said, um, so right. The, the six verses prior to that was um, John the Baptist's disciples coming and John had been in prison and he's, He's kind of having some uncertainty. Is Jesus the one or, or should we look for another? And it picks up in verse seven. Jesus says, and they went away. Those disciples, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning. What did you go out in the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out in the wilderness to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in a king's house. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law, uh, all, the, all the prophets in the, in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, it is he, Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I think two really key things here is the fact that Jesus says this three times. I think in some sense, we have the um, prophet pre priest king um, in, um, in that three deal. Um, but there's some significant things. I don't know if I can gleam into the wisdom of it all, but there's a reason why Jesus is saying three times, why did you go into the wilderness? What did you go into the wilderness to see? I think Ideally, if I would give you my summation in my spirit, what I think, I think what he was saying is so sometimes the spirit of God speaks to us. Sometimes he wells up inside of us and draws us. And we'll see that a little bit in John 14 when we get there. But 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 sometimes God just tells us you need to turn around and go back and do this or you need to wait right here or something. And so I think Jesus is is telling them, look. I know there's been 400 years of silence, but the spirit is starting to move and the spirit is starting to speak again. And I want you to think long and hard. Why did you go out? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Because in that context, you had either two things that could protect you, either the fortified city or God. And so the whole 40 years in the wilderness, God protected his people without fortified walls and so it would have been an unsafe thing for them to go out there so why did they do it so he's reminding them why did why did you put yourself at risk to go out here you know leave your house go off on a pilgrimage why did you do that and then i like how he ends this passage he says he says if you are willing to accept it he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And so he's he's inviting them in and calling them in. And this is not, this is Jesus interpreting scripture. So we hear different, we hear the apostles say this is the fulfillment of a certain prophecy. Uh, but here we hear have Jesus saying that here is the fulfillment of this prophecy. This is Elijah. This is the one 400 years ago that Malachi spoke about. Um, just briefly in math, Matthew 16, working through the text, Matthew 16, 13, and 14, we just see that it, 
is that they um, now that Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, J Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So this is just, I just put this in there for us to see what is the buzz? What is the cultural buzz at the time of Jesus? What are the people thinking? And then let's move to Matthew 17, 9 through 13. Prior to that was the transfiguration of Jesus. And he was there with Moses and, um, and um, Elijah. I believe that was right. And then, um, and so in nine, this is a pointed question. And again, we have the authority of Jesus talking about um, who John the Baptist is and Elijah and how all this makes sense. And what's the real meaning behind it? In verse nine, it says, and they, in, in of, of Matthew 17, and they were coming down the mountain. Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? I mean, so they're confused about it here. And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Now, if you research this too, you know, Jesus uh, predicts his death three different times and they never really fully understand this. Even on the day of resurrection, they're, 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 they're not even waiting on it. Um, and then the disciples understood in verse 13, the last verse, it says, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So here's Jesus bringing his disciples into this Elijah, John the Baptist, um, conversation. So the last text that I want to paint on this issue is in Matthew 27, 47 to 49. And a few verses prior to that, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? which is Psalms 22, which is a fun story to go back and look. Um, most people would say that, that when he opens that up, that's what he's trying to recite is Psalms 22. So it actually pictures a bigger picture of what he meant than just, just that one statement. But in 47, um, it, verse 47, it says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, the man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see where Elijah will come to save him. And yes, cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. So what we want to paint from these texts and you're just trying to get ourselves into the reality and the perspective that that they were in. And so here are some naysayers at the cross. They they were naysayers because they put him on the cross and they watched him be beat and he's there. But even them, they're holding on to whatever image of Elijah that they believe that they're saying, let's see if Elijah will um will will save him. Well, we'll you know, so there was also the language of he saved others. Can he save himself? And so at this point, I would just say the, the reason, and, and I don't know if I put all the scriptures, we'll look at the other scriptures about the Holy Spirit, and I'll let you make your own assessment and let the Lord teach you and guide you of, 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 of where you need to, to do with these texts. But, but at this point, um, in Romans 8, 11, it says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. So what lives in us? We say the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so when they're talking about Elijah, and, and we're going to look at some other texts with the Holy Spirit, but when they're talking about Elijah coming to, to save uh, Christ, I believe, in a sense, Elijah did save Christ when he rose up out of the grave three days later. He didn't save him off the cross, but the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead. So they were closer than they thought. Um, but they just weren't putting the, the pieces of the puzzle, you know, together. So um, I'll pause for a second. If anyone have any thoughts or questions they want to fill in, uh, ask or, or, or comment on, um, and then we'll jump in with the Holy Spirit side of the, of the story and, um, and see if, if these two tie together correctly. Anybody, are y'all ready to?
I'll finish the story. Okay. Going once, going twice. All right. So we'll go back to Luke 1, Luke 1, 41 to 45. Just a cool story to start off with that context. Um, so Mary has got pregnant by, um, by the Holy Spirit and Joseph has had a dream and, you know, just, just been some neat things. But one of the things that I caught, and, and this isn't for today, but one of the things I caught is um, we, we see Mary and Joseph in this uh, manger with, with no one there and they're just alone. Well, what's interesting is over the next eight days or so, God orchestrated some people that you remember when um, Nathaniel walked up and Jesus last week and Nathaniel walked up and Jesus said, um, you know, an Israelite indeed. And I saw you under the fig tree and, and Nathaniel was just blown away with what God knew. Well, God did this through Mary and Mo, um, did this for Mary and Joseph through shepherds, through um, uh, Simeon or Simon in, in the priest and Anna, you know, as they were, as they were going through the process of the birth, they're just at a manger. And all of a sudden these shepherds come. And if you go back and read that story, the shepherds are clueless of what's going on. Angels come up and have a choir service and tell them what's going on. And then they go show up. Well, what does that look like for Mary and Joseph? They're just there alone having this baby, wondering what, what's in store for them. And all of a sudden, these shepherds come up and say, we just was told that there's something awesome going on here. And so, you know, they're going to get circumcised. And Simeon says, "Bless the Lord told me before, before I die, I would see his day. And, 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 and I'm holding his salvation in my hands, you know. So you see these things, and it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. So, so some really cool things God was doing. Um, in all this time, but here's one of them. In um, what did I tell you the verse I was going to look at? Um, we said 41 to 45. So, um, and when Elizabeth heard, so let me jump up a little. In 39, in those days, Mary arose and went in haste to the hill country, town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And in verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among the women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So these blessings is like the Sermon on the Mount. In the, in the prophetic language, you had um, blessed and cursed. And so she's using this term blessed uh, to speak um, actually, uh, you know, significant prophetic blessings, you know, over Mary from her soul. Um, but, but what a cool picture here. Here's these two miraculous births, um, you know, one through this old lady that, had shame most of her life and couldn't have a kid and God doing that to bring in the forerunner for Christ. And then you have this virgin birth, you know, going on and both of them are kind of keeping this to themselves and quiet and, and they kind of show up and you could see, like you would picture it be like, Hey, you're not going to believe what happened to me. You know, they're going to have this kind of conversation among, but, 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 but God don't allow that to happen. They just get in the presence with one another and the, and the babies start having a, have a party, you know, and, 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 and this is, it's just a cool scene. You know, um, if, if that ain't cool, you know, then, you know, you might need to get saved again or something, <laughs> but supernatural cool scene. So, all right, moving on to, to the next text is Luke 24. So we're just going to look at how Luke ends, and then we'll look at Acts 1 and how he begins it, and just kind of, Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's rose, he's ascended, he's with them for like 40 days, I mean, it's his ascended body, and he has some things, he talks to them, but here, um, what did I say, uh, it said, uh, Luke 24, 49, um, I know he said a couple of things, but let's just go with that. Um, he says, uh, Luke 24, 49, he says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city 
until you are, are clothed with power on high. So in this transitional time, and we'll, we'll kind of see this more and more, um, the, the Holy Spirit is kind of with them. That's go out in the wilderness to see. But this is about to take, you know, in Acts 2, a different level. It's, he's going to be in them. And we'll see that more clear in just a second. But he's telling them last instructions before he leaves earth is, you know, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. And so you got to think, they were probably thinking what, what is this clothed with power on high? Like, I mean, we're talking about the disciples, right? You know, they're still struggling through all this. They're not fully understanding. So the next text, we're just going to jump into Acts 1. And this is just the continuation of Luke and the story. And 1-4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard of me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So now we're back to John the Baptist. You know, I baptize with water, but one more worthy than me is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so here's Jesus saying the same claim there. Um, also, um, he says, but wait for the promise of the Father. So we're going to see a few more of those verses in John. In John 14, 15, and 16 were some of the last moments, intimate moments he had with his disciples to prepare for them. And one of the things he clearly communicated to them is that this spirit of promise is going to come and it's going to be important for them. Um, and so let's see. Um, and then I just wanted to read verse eight, two, right there. Um, he said, again, re-emphasizing re this idea or point, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, and then I think I added, I don't know if I put that on your list, but I did just want to look at a few verses out of Acts 2. Um, you know, most of you know what has happened there, but I want to, I want to look at this part of, of Acts, Acts 2, 2, it says, and suddenly there came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house. Um, and then I want to go down, um, to two, four and it says, and they were filled with the Holy spirit and, um, and, and, and. And let's see, um, 2 6 says this they were, and, um, and as, as the sound of the multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So, as you look right below here, there's like 13 to 16 languages. But the key issue is that they were saying the, the goodness of God's message in their own language, as we see there in verse 6. And then I want to go down to 11 and 12. It says, this is the people, these 13 to 16 languages say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So, so what? back to the man born blind. He gets his sight. And everybody's thinking, what does this mean? You know, Elijah, why are you baptizing? What does this mean? What it means is God is doing something awesome. And, and nobody has a touch for the awesomeness of God and just fully understands what it means. It takes us time to process what in the world just happened here. And so a few more quick verses here and we'll 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 open for discussion in john 14 15 through 17 he says if you love me you will keep my commandments and i will ask the father and he will give you another helper which all this is the same language holy spirit comforter the the promise the holy the helper a helper to be you be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I think this is a key thing as we're looking at this transition, as he's here with disciples and he's telling him, you know, this is prior to him telling them, wait in the city. He says he he's with you, but he will be in you. But he also says, 
he says, um, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So go back to what did you go out in the wilderness to see? So these disciples at this point, they know enough about the Holy Spirit to be drawn out into the wilderness to see, but they don't know enough about him to, to be Acts 2, where they're communicating the, the, you know, the message of God in a powerful way. Um, then the next verse is, um, let's see, is down in 26 of that same chapter of, of John 14. And it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. This is a key verse. When we say, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this great task that God has put on us? The Holy Spirit is there and he's going to teach us and he's going to guide us. He's going to remind us. So, you know, we have a helper that's going to be with us. He said, I'm not in, in the previous verse. He said, I'm not going to. Um, he said, um, and the father will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know, so the, all this paints this this picture. If you go to 15, the end of the um, chapter in verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. And then as you scroll down uh, or, or, or skip over to 16, and 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Um, and then just a few more verses. Um, we are at, that was, please, John, it's right down a little bit more below, 12 and 13 below there. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. We put all these together, and I hope you take these texts and you ponder them a little bit and let them settle down in your heart. But there's a lot that's being said here, and it's a little bit like a scattered puzzle, but it is extremely rich. And if you can put it all together and anchor it in your heart, you're going to be okay, no matter what happens, you know, tomorrow. Um, I love the way, and we'll we'll visit this a little bit more, but just looking at this last one, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. How many of you just can't bear what God has to say for you right now? Thank God that he'll do it over a course of time by working the Holy Spirit out in you. So let me just make sure I, I covered everything. Um, a couple other texts that I put, I don't know if they were on your list, but John 7, 16 and 17 which we'll get to that again on our journey through John. He says, "My, because what he said a lot about the Holy Spirit, he said he's not going to just speak on his own own authority. He's going to take what is mine and, and, and share it to you. He's going to be a conduit for that. But he says in John 7, 16 and 17, my teaching is not mine, but he who see who has sent me, if anyone is... If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So it's the same thing. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Um, and, and then he's, he's like, you know him. The world don't know him, but you know him. There's this Holy Spirit. Back to what's the purpose of Elijah? To be a forerunner, to prepare a way for the Lord, to bring the heel, the spiritual hills down and the valleys up, making it flat. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing here, is putting us where we need to be, when we need to be it, to hear what we need to hear. Um, I, I, the, the last thing I'll just say is Jeremiah 31 um, to 34, looking at 31, 33, he says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their heart. Just popping a question. How's he going to do that? And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so he's ruling and reigning. How does he do that? And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor. And each his brother say, and know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. How does he do that? And then with that whole new covenant um, um, promise, for I will forgive their iniquities and I remember them their sin no more. 
I think that's the one that as the is the most important because it says that this is the new covenant promise that's for us. And if that's true, these other two clauses that he will write his law on our heart and that he will teach us. How does he do that? If not by the Holy Spirit. So I hope I connected that. Well, I'll, I'll let you guys be the judge and tell me and I'll answer any questions if I was unclear. I laughed. I listened to the recording last week and I, instead of John the Baptist, I said Moses. I don't know how many of y'all caught that, but I said, man, sometimes I, I mean one thing and say something else. So if if I need to clarify on anything, uh, but hopefully that was a good run through some text and something that you've got some notes on and can be a benefit to you. But I'm going to hear back, hear from you guys now. What, what, what do you think about that journey that we've raced through all over the Bible there? There's got one, one we can add to it that wasn't on your list. It's in Matthew 10, 19. And it's when Jesus is sending out the disciples. And he says, but when, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the capital S, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So that yep. kind of corroborates where um, Jesus describes the comfort of the Holy Spirit of, of reminding you everything that he says and empowering them what to say at that point. So that's another good one to add to that list. Yeah. Anybody else? What you think? Shane, Mike? I'll just say amen. Good job. <laughs> no thoughts. I mean, have you ever put that together like that? Did I do a decent job? Uh, what, what, what's your thoughts on the overall? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you definitely tied in a lot of the verses together. Um, you know, the, and, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say one of my strengths is the Old Testament history and, and, you know, I, I used to do that with one of my old Bibles. If you just pick it up and hold it, you would see like a lot of the New Testament pages are wore out, but a lot of the Old Testament pages still look pretty clean. So most of my journey has, has been spent in the New, New Testament, um, but I do like to look back at the historical record and, and see, uh, especially whenever um, a reference to the Old Testament is there, you can kind of go back and journey through it. But um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, the story of Elijah isn't super uh, clear, you know, just his life and, and really what that that looked like for for um, what they were waiting for. You know, the prophecies of, of his quote unquote return. Um, but yeah, I definitely see that with, um, it's pretty clear when Jesus says he is Elijah. I mean, I, I can, I can take that to the bank, right? I mean, it's, it's no question. I mean, it's, uh, is there some symbologies? Absolutely. But uh, I think Jesus made it very clear that, um, all this stuff is, uh, being put together with like pieces of a puzzle. Yeah, I think when Jesus says it twice, once to his disciples and once to a crowd of people that had went and listened to John, and then Gabriel says it to Zechariah, and that's all in scripture, I, I think <laughs> we got to do something with that, you know. But I, I, I guess what my goal was is, I, you know, when you talk about finding a needle in a haystack, um, you know, I, for years, I think the Holy Spirit is so important. And, you know, we, we say sometimes knowing who you are in Christ is important. And then I 100% agree with that. But I think knowing how the Holy Spirit works in you and how he has equipped you and to, to comfort you, to strengthen you and all that, I think that's important. And what I think is so unique is these texts that I gave you on the Holy Spirit, if you kind of hold them to heart and look at them and, and maybe even kind of memorize them a little bit. They come together as little separate puzzle pieces that really do a great job explaining the, the magnitude of the Holy spirit. So what I see sometimes is I see people in church not thriving in their Christianity because they don't know what they have in the Holy spirit, so to speak. And, and I think it's just because it's scattered throughout the Bible. It's, it's like, what do you say? We're the salt. Well, when you put salt, you don't put it on all your food. You, you scatter it across 
the, the, the meal. And in that way, what you see in what we did this morning is you sort of see salt scattered over the book of John. But as you're trying to have a heart to process, what is John saying in the whole, what does God have for me in the book of John? What do these things mean? What does he have for us in the gospel? You begin to have to do the work of bringing these things together. And, and as you pull all the salt off of the stake, so to speak, then you can see, you know, what the content of the salt, you know, is. And, um, the Holy Spirit is sprinkled throughout our lives. It's what journeys us through there. So anyway, um, Jay. The main point I would see is just that the Lord is always preparing, you know, from Moses in the wilderness. Um, yeah, Jeremiah talking, uh, for, you know, of course, that was a good bit before uh but he was preparing the people with his words for uh, john the baptist and john the baptist to jesus and then jesus you know preparing a way for the holy spirit to enter us when he was gone so was, there's all I, I i just feel like i have to believe that we're even in the time now he's preparing us yeah that's good the one Okay, Mr. Wayne, I was, I was coming to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. The one, the one thing that keeps impressing me is that uh, we human beings uh, don't, you know, don't, in spite of our desires, we don't have our eyes open to what's going on currently in our lives. And I encourage a lot of my brothers to uh, reflect over their lives and put some and realize things that were happening to you when you didn't realize it at the time. All these, all these things that are going on, people have to be explained that we get confused. We, we're just not aware of what's happening until we've reflected back on what has happened, you know? And the same thing, I mean, people were, were living in a confused state even 2000 years ago and had to have their focus brought out to them, you know, by, by, the, by God himself, you know. So God has been working in all our lives from the day we were born. And we need to reflect back on all the things that we've gone through personally to, to, to be aware of the spirit that lives in us and the Christ who has redeemed us. It takes a lot of effort and reflecting on what our lives have been. Yeah. Well, um, so next week we will, we will hit John two, one and 12. And, um, I'll, I'll think about it. I don't know. It might be taking on too much to, um, basically the next two stories in John is, is the water and the wine and which is the first miracle. So, uh, we can spend some time with that. And then the next story, he goes in the temple and he don't like what he sees and he turns, turns it up. And one of the key thoughts as it ends that up is it says that the disciples remembered that it was prophesied that he would have zeal for his father's house. And it begins to talk about they believed because of the zeal for the father's house. They also believed because of the sign he did at the wedding. Uh, I would leave you with this because one of the things that stuck with me this morning as I was thinking about this 400 years, you know, would you have been one of those guys? Would your family... You know, because 400 years is generation after generation, and so much was important to the text that we have, a group of people passing on what they believe to the next generation. And I think that's one thing we're weak, we're weak at as, as, as a people of today. We don't pass, we don't disciple, we don't pass the baton on like we should to the next generation. So we need to do the hard work of what are the important things? What are the essentials? What are the fundamentals? And are we passing them on to the next generation? Not just by, by word, but actually by deed. Are we, are we finding a way to get it um, embraced in the heart of the next generation? And that's how this, this truth was held for 400 years in a lot of ways. But this is what I want to say. So the, the real challenge for, for a lot of Baptist Christians, for sure, is, is, is the whole Jesus turning water into wine. Um, I did the math. It says 120 gallons to 180 gallons. So technically at the 120 gallon mark, that's 727 bottles of wine he made for that wedding party. So we will, we will try to try to dabble through that. But I want to say this, 
um, in the process of making wine, um, it the key is time. It, it takes time for it to age. And the idea is that the longer it ages, the better it is. Well, the when he comes to the uh, when he makes the water into wine and it comes to the the the, the wedding, um, whatever you want to call that, the chief waiter, the wedding, you know, the wedding banquet head guy. He says, this is better than anything else you've offered. And, and it almost leads to it's far better, you know. And and my point about the 400 years, what would a wine taste like that had aged for 400 years? And so what Jesus, what, what do we say? What, what is a day? with the lord is like a thousand years elsewhere or is that am i saying that right I, I think i butchered it but but i'm just trying to say these these what seems like eternity for us is just a glimpse of time for the lord and and so as we are coming to understand the weightiness of the good news the gospel that god has given to us i don't think i i, I never think we will ever be able to even grasp how valuable it is so just as in this wine the you know if you know to give you some simple math wine that's aged about three years can be 70 bucks now i don't really know i, I ain't done my research but let's say 10 years 20 years could be hundreds of dollars a bottle or whatever or something like that which is basically the size of a of a big gulp you know if you remember when we started going and they had the big old cups you know at, at the store like this is awesome you know as a kid that's all a bottle of wine is, but we're talking about one of those big gulps, you know, over a hundred bucks if it's aged long enough. So I want us to think, um, he turned the water out of the water that was meant for purification purposes. So whatever was happening at this wedding, he was making it the best party ever. He was adding significant value. So we'll, We'll navigate through that next week. That's why I was wondering about Rusty. Maybe he'll make it next week. Uh, pray for me this week as I as I pray for that because, you know, I know Paul has recently had his son get married, and then Mike has had his daughter get married, and Rusty has got daughter. Right? Is that right? And um, and so marriage is a big deal. Um, I mean, people are coming and becoming. That was who jumped off. But I was, okay, he waved. I, I didn't. I, I didn't know what the wave meant. But uh, but marriage is a big deal. And so, like I said, pray for me as I prepare for that next week. Uh, but 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 both of those, the purity of marriage is is being held up there. And also, when he shows the zeal of the house, the purity of God's house is being held up there. So, pray that uh. Um, that we work through that. I will say, if you want to do personal prayer, I know we've talked about things at different times about lust and temptation, uh, but all of those things, whether it's impure thoughts about women, whether it be anger or, 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 or frustration or, or whatever, whatever your struggle might be, I'm praying that as we, as we look at this study, that um, God just speaks right to our heart, you know, on that. And, um, and, and, and really what I'm praying for is a spirit of repentance that we, I don't know that if, if God is going to do something really cool in our day, we've got to have a heartbeat for holiness. And so th that's what I would ask you. Um, I'm, I'm not asking anyone to try to overcome their struggle of impurity without the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what we, we looked at today. These texts with the Holy Spirit is that he's with us. Um, he's, he said, wait in the city until you're dude with power on high. So what we're asking is that we would come in to the, to the, to the holy place with the Lord in such a way that he would, he would surround us with his holiness, that he would give us a hunger and a desire for, for um, purity that we've never, that, that, that we haven't had in a long time. So Paul, you want to close this in prayer? Sure. I'm just add real quick on what you said because yeah, any you know the, the absolute only way we can overcome it is with the Holy Spirit because you know, we be, may be prompted by the Holy Spirit to want to do those things, but if we don't rely on the Holy Spirit, we're using the flesh, which we know that every every everything 100% of the flesh is in revolt against God. So we're basically trying to we'll be trying to fight a battle 
uh, with weapons that are 100% in revolt against God. So there's no, there's no way you're going to have victory there without 100% of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, um, we got, we got to, let me say, let me just say quickly, we just got to remember to keep our lamps full and our wick clean. So, uh, you know, just don't, don't, don't be patient while the Lord works it all out. Yeah, for sure. Um, Father God, Lord, we just come to you and praise, Lord. We come to you on our knees, Lord. We come to you at the foot of the cross, crying out to you, uh, thanking you, praising you for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. Uh, can never thank you enough, Lord. Uh, thank you for these godly men, Lord, that join us every week and uh, in prayer and, and uh, seeking your word, Lord, and uh, just wanting to become uh, closer and abiding to you and uh, following your commandments and uh, just in tune with you and walking with you in the spirit, Lord. Uh, I thank you for them, Lord. I, I ask you to just bless their families, uh, their church, their individual churches, uh, Lord, uh, put a hedge of protection around those things, Lord, and just um, fill, fill them with, uh, with, with you, Lord, and, and keep us all on the right path, Lord. Uh, pray that everybody goes to their own service today and the, and the, the various pastors that are, that are speaking your word, your message, Lord, anoint them and or just uh, anoint the uh, congregations today to be fertile ground to hear your word, Lord. And we're looking for revival and we're looking for salvations and we're uh, just crying out to you for that. Thank you and praise you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, call me if you need anything and hope you have a great day. Hey, Dennis. Dennis, before you go off, let me show you something. I may show you this before. Can you see that? Yeah, hold on one second. Let me uh, stop this.